Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where each week and every week we sit down by the campfire and have a nice pot of tea. Yes, that's right. Today we're talking all about tea. Hot yet refreshing. Or cold and refreshing. Either way, it's refreshing and satisfying, just like this podcast. It's a good drop podcast. I'm Stu. I'm Michael. Cheers. Cheers. So yes, we are talking about it's another one of those episodes where we start by talking about something that isn't actually alcoholic. Yeah, but tea is a very good drink. Like billions of people believe so. And it's because it's been around for so long, we decided that it was definitely worth mentioning and discussing. Yeah, well, it is in fact the second most consumed beverage in the world after water. I thought you were going to say beer for a moment there. No, after water. It's probably drink number three. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but yes, goes water and then tea. Mm. And one of the big reasons behind that is because people believed that tea was safer to, safer to drink than straight water. Now, we know today that that's because the act of boiling it killed all the baddies, all the nasties in their river water or tap water. Or town water or bucket water or however the hell they collected it. Yeah. And it was also considered to have medicinal properties. So let's, I guess, begin at the beginning. For those who don't know what tea is, perhaps there's a handful of you out there. Which rock have you been living under? <laughs> it is an aromatic beverage prepared by pouring hot or boiling water over the dried leaves of the tea plant. And... Uh, it is believed to have originated in southwest China during the Shang Dynasty, where it was originally used as a medicinal drink. Now, the Shang Dynasty dates this back to around 1700 BC. That's amazing. 1700. That's almost as old as beer. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty old. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole pile of theories as to the origin of tea. And most of them seem a little far-fetched, but also semi-realistic, semi-reasonable. So the first one, the one popular Chinese... one One more popular Chinese legend about tea is the legendary emperor of China, Shenong, uh, and apparently the inventor of agriculture and Chinese medicine, was drinking a bowl of just boiled water due to a decree that his subjects must boil water before drinking it. Sometime around 2739 BC, a few leaves were blown from a nearby tree into his water, changing the colour and taste. The emperor took one sip of the brew and was pleasantly surprised by its flavour and restorative properties. A variant of the legend tells that the emperor tested the medicinal properties of various herbs on himself, some of them poisonous, and found tea to work as an antidote. Uh, Shenong is also mentioned in Lu Yu's famous early work on the subject, The Classic of Tea. 
A similar Chinese legend goes that the god of agriculture would chew the leaves, stems, and roots of various plants to discover medicinal herbs. If he consumed a poisonous plant, he would chew tea leaves to counteract the poison. Yeah, which is, of course, where it got the medicine startings from. Mm. And as I mean, that's one thing that it really has in common with um, alcohol, is that it began as something considered to be medicinal. Mm, and absolutely. then later became something that people drank recreationally. And in fact, in the case of tea, it was during the Tang Dynasty that it became popular as a recreational drink. And that consumption of it as a recreational drink caused people who were traveling to other countries to drink it, which is how it made its way to you know, Japan and Mongolia and you know other Asian countries. Mm. Even and north to Russia and across the way to Europe, to the yeah. rest of Europe. And uh, it was in fact taken to Europe by Portuguese priests during the 16th century. And uh, BC or a- AD? AD. That's quite late. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a very long time that it was only being consumed in China. And in fact, it was around, I think, 9th century AD that it found its way to Japan. That's incredible. Because you, like the British tea drinking culture is so ingrained that anyone would be forgiven for thinking it's been around for a thousand years or more. Yeah, though it was only the 17th century that uh, tea became fashionable in Britain. And it was after that time that the British liking it so much and having just gotten themselves a nation of India where such things grow quite well, decided to grow tea in India on a commercial scale Mm. and produce ludicrous amounts of it. And in fact, to this day, India and China still supply over 60% of the world's tea. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that's... A lot of tea coming out of those two countries. And because it, the Indians never chose to produce tea, the no. British made them produce tea yeah. and gave them a really good, really profitable thing that they now continue doing because it's really good and really profitable. Mm. We've uh, so, so we've gone off on a bit of a tangent. Uh, let's go back. So during the Song Dynasty in... Between uh, 960 and 1279 AD, production of production and preparation of tea changed. the The tea of of Song of the Song Dynasty included many loose leaf styles, and the origin of and it's pretty much the origin of today's loose leaf teas and the practice of brewed tea altogether. So, and. But around the same time, a new powdered form of tea also emerged. Steaming tea leaves was the primary process used for centuries in the preparation of tea. And after the transition from compressed tea to powdered tea, the production for trade and distribution changed again. Mm. And uh, powdered tea is in fact a form in which it is very popular in Japan, Mm. where they... I guess based on not having a lot of space for tea production, had to instead instead find ways to maximize the yield off a limited amount. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which makes sense because tea got to Japan around nine, around the nine or tenth century. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is where this tea production changed, uh, and in the and it changed again in the uh, mid thirteenth century. Tea leaves were roasted and then crumbled rather than steamed. And by the Yuan and Ming dynasties, unfermented tea leaves were first pan-fried, then rolled and dried. This stopped the oxidation process, which turns the leaves dark and allows the tea to remain green. And then uh, moving on into the 15th century, oolong tea was, was developed where the tea was allowed to partially ferment before frying. So it's kind of semi-black, I guess. Yeah, and it has a um, a very strong and different odor to most other teas. Mm. But the Western society liked the darker flavor and pushed for fully fermented tea. And that's how we get black tea. It's all from the same plant. Yeah, every single bit of it. Because what we call herbal teas is, of course, teas made from things that are not the tea plant. Mm. I think the current go-to word for non-tea teas is tisane. Right, because I guess what, what we've been referring to as the tea plant is actually known by the scientific name Camellia sinensis. And yeah, if something isn't made from Camellia sinensis, it's not tea. Mm. So your green tea, your yellow tea, white tea black tea it is literally all from the same plant some fr- some from different parts of it but it's all the same thing yeah and you get your different varieties through aging or heating or fermentation or blending of a variety of all of them it's amazing amazing stuff uh so that's that's the the nitty-gritty of the history and how we got to tea production today yeah, so let's. Uh, I guess let's bring it back to. Let's come back to seventeenth-century Britain, when tea was becoming popular, because that brings us nicely into one of the origin stories for what we're drinking, which is the hot toddy. Mm. Well, you're drinking the hot toddy. I'm having an Earl Grey. Yes, because the hot toddy is, you know, one of those uh, cocktails that is shrouded in mystery. But one of the ways that it's believed to have come into existence is in Scotland in the 17th century Hmm. as a means of making whiskey more palatable to women (laughs) by adding honey and tea and lemon to sweeten and mellow out the otherwise strong smoky flavors Interesting. Because, of course, the only other thing as mysterious as the histories of the hot toddy is the recipe, because (laughs) there's so many different recipes for it, all with a variety of different things. It can be made on bourbon or scotch or brandy is what we've used today, and then usually has honey added to it. And usually is tea, but sometimes it's just hot water. Usually has, yeah, usually has lemon added to it, but it doesn't necessarily have to have lemon added to it. So 
we've used one of the more common recipes, which is you know a a shot of brandy, uh, half a shot of honey, uh, half a shot of lemon juice, and tea. Which which sounds like it might be nice, but I yeah. I don't know. And I've I've never had one before. So this is me trying a hot toddy for the first time and it is still really hot. Hmm. It's an extremely hot toddy. <laughs> oh, okay. So the the glass is hotter than the beverage itself. Good. And yeah, significantly hotter than the beverage itself. And it's very pleasant. It's um oh, a little spicy actually, oddly. Yeah, some some recipes and that reminds me the little spicy reminds me that some recipes also call for the addition of cloves. Huh. Yeah, I can see how that would work. Mm. Cloves, lemon, brandy, or whiskey. Yeah. And mm. cuz of course there are other origin stories for this that and when you think about it it makes sense say that it was invented as a cure for the common cold. Mm. And certainly it's useful to that effect But now that we're aware of the medicinal effects of honey Well of course that's going to work mm. And since we're also aware of the medicinal effects of brandy <laughs> It definitely it yeah. definitely works Because yeah. pretty much every alcohol ever Has been at some point or other Considered to have medicinal effects At some point hmm. That is very true uh, So we're getting to the point where so as as we progress through history before we get to modern times, there are two more things that I really want to mention. Two very important historical events. Mm. Well, one's not so much an event, but the East India Company or the East India Trading Company. You may you might recall them mentioned in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm, because they were a big deal and certainly a very large presence on the ocean at that time. Huge. They uh they initially weren't weren't the the whole point of it was not actually to set up an empire but they just became so big that they ended up being one in their own right uh soon after the defeat of the spanish armada in 1588 the captured spanish and portuguese ships with their cargoes enabled english voyagers to potentially travel the globe in search of riches London merchants presented a petition to Queen Elizabeth I for permission to sail to the Indian Ocean. The aim was to uh, deliver a decisive blow to the Spanish and Portuguese monopoly of Far Eastern trade. Uh, Queen Elizabeth granted her permission and on April 10, 1591, James Lancaster in the Bonaventure with two other ships sailed from Torbay around the Cape of Good Hope to the Arabian Sea on one of the earliest overseas Indian expeditions. There's the there's the start of it. The um, well, that's that's kind of how it started. But on uh, in 1599, a group of merchants met and stated their intention to venture in the pre pretended voyage to the East Indies, the which. It may please the Lord to prosper and the sums that they will adventure, committing £30,000, wow, over $4 million in today's money, 
uh, they uh, petitioned the queen to start the company and they they bought ships and in, for their venture and increased their capital to uh, 68,000 pounds. Uh, and again, one year later, they uh, they succeeded in getting the Queen's approval, granting a royal charter to George, Earl of Cumberland, and 250 knights, aldermen, and burgesses under the name Governor and Company of Merchants of London Trading with the East Indies. And they were very successful and managed to be around for a very long time, ending up over their period of just over 200 years that they sailed and traded, Mm. having formed quite the armada. Yeah, they uh, traded everything from tea, silks, spices, uh, and in later years they were trading in opium. Yeah, and um, while we may have mentioned earlier that it was the the British who started tea in India, which was true, it wasn't the British government. It was the East India Trading Company that caused it to become such a big deal. It was they that conquered India, not the British government themselves. Mm. And in fact... It was managed from a London office. Yeah. Not from some parliament, but from an (laughs) office in London. Yeah. Yeah, the East India Trading Company was basically the uh, 18th century Amazon. They had their fingers in everything. Like sugar... You like you name it. They were taking out loans from the uh, British Treasury, um, m- making money hand over fist until about eighteen fifty-seven, uh, with the Indian Rebellion. It it resulted in widespread devastation in India. Many condemning the East India Company for mit- for permitting the events to occur. In the aftermath of the rebellion, under the provisions of the Government of India Act, eighteen fifty-eight. The British government nationalised the company. The Crown took over its Indian possessions, its administrative powers and machinery, and its armed forces. The company remained in in existence in vestigial form, continuing to manage the tea trade on behalf of the British government until the East India Stock Dividend Redemption Act in 1873 came into effect. This act provided for the formal dissolution of the company and after a final dividend payment and commutation or redemption of its stock, it was done. Done, done. Completely done in 1874. Yep, though I suppose while talking about the East India Company, we should mention that the East India Club in London was formed in 1849 during the death knell of the East India Trading Company. Huh. And that club still exists today as a private gentleman's club. Wow. With its clubhouse situated at 16 St. James Square in London. (laughs) Now that we've spoken about the British and India, let's speak about the British. Trying to to screw the Americans. (laughs) Yeah, well, and the the Americans screwing them back, I suppose. Yeah. 
Because in about 17, in the 1760s, apparently Britain was in, well, apparently, Britain was in very deep debt. Uh, So the British Parliament imposed a series of taxes on American colonists to help pay for those debts. The Stamp Act of 1765 taxed colonists on virtually every piece of printed paper they used, from playing cards and business licenses to newspapers and legal documents. Then the Townsend Acts of 1767 went a a step further, taxing essentials such as paint, paper, glass, lead, and tea. (laughs) The British government thought it was fair because thought the taxes were fair since much of his debt was earned on behalf of fighting wars for the colonists. Well, it was earned fighting wars on the colonists' behalf. However, the colonists disagreed and said, mate. Yes, that, that's largely accurate. The colonists were very uh, proper. Because the Americas were founded by people running away from Britain because they believed they weren't conservative enough. <laughs> it's very true so because everyone disagreed with it and they the british found it very hard to actually keep these taxes going british eventually repealed the taxes it had imposed except the tea tax it wasn't about to give up the tax revenue on nearly 1.2 million pounds of tea the colon colonists drank every year that's a lot of tea That is a lot of tea. So, in protest, the colonists boycotted tea sold by the British East India Company and smuggled in Dutch tea, leaving leaving the British East India Company with millions of pounds of surplus tea and facing bankruptcy. And, of course, not to be outdone, the British Parliament passed in 1773... The British Parliament passed the Tea Act, which allowed Brit- the British East India Company to sell tea to the colonists duty-free and much t- cheaper than other tea companies, but still tax tea when it reached the colonial ports. That's so messed up. Yeah. Like, no wonder they were pretty shitty. Oh, yeah, you'd, you'd be upset. That's for darn sure. Yeah. So, of course, the colonists... The American colonists still disagreed and started smuggling it in elsewhere. It went back and forth for a while, and it all culminated with with a couple of men called John Hancock and Samuel Adams. Uh, led, led by these two, a group of men under the cover of night uh, boarded the boarded some ships that were docked at the uh, Boston in the Boston Harbor. Well, threw the crates overboard into the water, making sure to damage them to allow the tea to be completely destroyed by the ocean water. Uh, apparently, it took about three hours of cutting and splitting the chests and throwing them overboard, and took nearly a hundred me- hundred uh, took nearly a hundred men to get it all done. The tea, there was more than 45 tons of tea in the harbour, which would have cost about, cost nearly a million dollars today. A million dollars worth of tea. Wow. And that event was, of course, and is considered 
one of the greatest tipping points towards the American Revolutionary War, which began near Boston in 1775. Mm. That, yeah, throwing the tea in the water and throwing off British rule was one hell of a power move. Yeah, and I mean, the British tried to come back with a number of legal acts, but that just tipped things further and further. And we are, of course, moving away from beverages here. But But it's still very, very important. Oh, it's important, yes. And it brings us back to the US Mm. and gives us a fantastic segue to iced tea. Absolutely. Lead on. Which is uh, considered by some to have been invented in the US with certain parties suggesting that it came into existence at the World's Fair in 1904 when an individual was attempting to sell hot tea and it was the middle of summer so nobody wanted that so he poured ice into his steeped tea and began selling iced tea. But of course we know that to be Enormously unlikely since there are records of iced tea having been consumed long before 1904. (laughs) But that doesn't change the fact that iced tea and later sweet tea went on to be enormously popular in the US and in the South and in the rest of the world. Mm. We definitely drink it a lot here because it's... We definitely drink it a lot here in Australia because it's very hot in summer. Yeah, exactly. Very, 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 very hot. It it does get very hot in summer. Hmm. And I mean, the earliest recipe, the earliest printed recipe for iced tea dates back to the 1870s, with uh, two of the earliest cookbooks with iced tea recipes being Buckeye Cookbook by Estelle Woods Wilcox, published in 1876, and Housekeeping in Old Virginia by Marion Cabell Tyree, which was published in 1877. And it was during that time that iced tea started to appear in the US. And yes, it became more popular after Richard Bleckenden introduced it at the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, but that wasn't where it was invented. It was just where it was really first marketed on a large scale. Hmm. And yet... It was still around before the invention of tea bags. Yeah. Tea, tea bags were first uh, introduced to the Western world in 1903, first appearing commercially in 1904. Around the same time as that World's Fair. Hmm. They were successfully marketed in 1908 by the tea and coffee importer Thomas Sullivan from New York who shipped his silk bags, silk tea bags around the world. Loose tea was intended to be removed from the bags by customers, but they found it easier to brew the tea with the tea still enclosed in the porous bags. The first tea bag packing machine was invented in 1929 by Adolf uh, Rambold for the German company Tecan. And the first heat-sealed paper fibre tea bag was patented in 1930 by William Hermanson. And the now commonly seen rectangular tea bag was not invented until 1944. Prior to this, tea bags resembled small sacks. That's, mm. that's kind of cool. Yeah. 
And now it's kind of coming back to that again. When you look at specialty tea shops mm, loose, that loose leaf tea sell you loose leaf tea in a small sack. Mm. Except that some of them do, yeah. Except that you can then take it out of the small sack huh. or I guess brew it in a small sack, but you'd be mad. There you go. I haven't seen it like that yet. Oh, I have. I have seen I have seen small sacks of tea. And I'm going to once again use this to segue to something else I have seen, which is pre-packaged iced tea. Because In, as like loose leaf or oh no 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 like I mean yeah you can buy like little bags of iced tea packs yeah that are designed to be steeped in cold water and intended to be an iced tea. But I'm talking about like you know your your bottle of iced tea that you can go and buy from the shops. Yeah, that's been around for at least. 20 years. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Which is around the same... You know, we're, we're moving forward through time here and we're getting mm. to that. and Because that's important because that can then allow us to take a giant leap further forwards to when they decided that it's a good idea to add vodka. Of course. <laughs> if you can drink it, let's add vodka. Yeah. And so now you can buy pre-packaged alcoholic iced teas. Pre-mix alcoholic iced tea. There you go. Yeah. I can't say I've had one yet. Which, no, neither have I, but it does bring us back to alcohol and to what we're really all about. That's it. So what's the the brand called that does the alcoholic iced tea? Oh, there are several. Oh. There are several brands that do it. Oh. Here I was uh, thinking it was just the one because I have not seen it yet. And our favorite bottle shop only carries one of them. Oh. Actually. We should have definitely had some. Oh, well. Slip my mind. With the hot toddy. All right, let me yeah. try this hot yeah, toddy. Try the hot toddy. Oh, yeah, it smells nice. Oh, no. No. That's a no from me. It just tastes like tea, but wrong. <laughs> oh, I, I found it quite pleasant. Hmm. Yeah, no. Not, not for me. That's not my cup of tea. <laughs> right. So, yes, the um, Brookvale Union does a vodka and peach iced tea. Brookvale Union. Mm. There you go. And Mr. Mixer does a five-litre Miami iced tea. Wow. Five litres. And apparently you can also... Uh, Arizona iced tea does a pomegranate. Hmm. And they also do a lemon there you go. Yeah, oh. And Margaret River Beverages does a peach iced tea. I would definitely give these a go, but I did and not like the flavor. Iced tea and yeah, so there's um several different Ooh. uh different varieties apparently. Yeah. I no, not I don't like the hot toddy. It's odd. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd be inclined to have a go at the Vodka and peach iced tea. Though mm. I, I frequently find that uh, that style of iced tea is ludicrously sweet. Oh, yeah. Like when, Especially the Lipton iced tea mm, varieties. Yeah, like when my preference for iced tea is uh, the Japanese ones. The, oh, yeah, which is basically cold tea. Yeah, it's basically just cold tea and it's perfect. Mm. Yeah. It's a lot nicer than the super sweet stuff, which is 
kind of like most is more like soft drink than iced tea. Yeah. Well, I think what helps with their iced tea working so well is that they use a milder preparation of the tea in making it. Oh. So it's not brutally bitter, but it's also <laughs> not excessively sweet. They haven't added piles of sugar to it. Gotcha. That makes sense. Uh, so I haven't really got it. Like we could go on and on for hours yeah, about and tea. Naturally, you can acquire a bottle of iced tea and just add vodka to it because mm. that's basically what they do. Yeah. But um, we, we could go on and on for hours about tea because there's so much on there. Like each different tea variety has its own little bit of history. But that's oh, for a whole different podcast. Yes, we are not a good drop of the tea bag. We are just a good drop. Mm. So I I haven't got anything else I want to add. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's that's it for today. All that's right. it for this episode, yeah. All right. So if you liked what you heard, everyone... Be sure to uh, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. You can find us on your favorite podcast app, including Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, We are a good drop all about alcohol. You can also find us on the socials, Instagram and Facebook as a good drop podcast. And if you want to check out our library of previous episodes, we're on episode 121 now. you can find us at agooddrop.com.au. And if you've got any comments, questions, uh, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, if you've got a favorite cup of tea you want to tell us about, send us an email to agooddrop at gmail.com. And do be sure to tune in to our next episode when we talk about South African drinks. Hmm. There's a few interesting ones there, but not... There's not quite enough information for a whole episode, so we're going to give you a good rundown of what to expect. Yeah, because uh, talking about all of them, there's a lot on that. Yeah. But talking about just one, not, not, not that much. Hmm. There's some good wines that come out of South Africa. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good stuff that came out of South Africa. Until next time, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.